Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our joint morning worship and church meeting. Everyone is welcome, whether you're a member, a regular attender, or a visitor. We are very glad that you're with us today. I'd like to offer a specially warm welcome to Nick Farrell, who's with us this morning. Nick succeeded Neil Young as our development advisor when Neil sadly died. And Nick will be speaking to us this morning within the context both of worship and our church meeting. And he'll be available to chat to you over the short break that we'll have later for refreshments. During that break, the Sunday School will be selling cakes to raise funds for Christian aid. Please give generously to this year's campaign, Bite Back at Hunger. You can also return your Christian Aid envelopes in the offering bags this morning or hand them directly to Barbara Fisher after the service. If you are a UK taxpayer, it would be a huge help if you would fill in your details on the back of the envelope so that Christian Aid can reclaim gift aid on your donation. This makes an enormous difference to the total amount that we raise for Christian Aid So please make the time to do that if you pay income tax. Our pastoral news will be included within the context of our service this morning. And so I'll move on simply to say that our evening service this evening at 7pm will be held in Wellington Church and will be led by Christine Johnston on the theme of the Ascension. And this service will also include communion. Next Sunday morning at 11am, Katrina will lead a special service for Pentecost at which we will include a baptism and the reception of four friends into membership of the church. These are all the notices. Thank you, Anne. I'm hoping that the um, projection equipment is going to start behaving. It's been misbehaving for the last half an hour. I think I now know what the problem is, but we'll see what happens. It normally behaves. Our call to worship is going to appear on the screen. Um, I will say the words that are in yellow. If you could please join with me, if you're able, in the words that are printed in white. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. God's lightning lights up the world. The earth sees it and trembles. The heavens proclaim God's righteousness. And all peoples behold God's glory. Rejoice in the Lord. And give thanks to God's holy name. Our opening hymn of praise this morning is printed on the service sheet. It is also going to appear on screen. God is love, here's the care, tending each everywhere. If you're able, please stand as we sing together.
And now we come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. God, who is love, and who cares so passionately about each and every one of us that Christ became human in order to draw us to yourself, we come to you now in prayer. Sometimes it's really hard to concentrate to pray. All sorts of thoughts rush through our minds. Sometimes it's hard to focus to pray. All sorts of sounds and sights distract us. And sometimes it's just hard to pray. We struggle to find the words or ideas because we are tired or bewildered or overwhelmed. But here and now, we try to pray. And we do so with the assurance that your own spirit intercedes on our behalf, making sense of our unspoken and unconscious prayers. For all that has been good, life-giving and fulfilling, we thank you. For all that has been bad, death-dealing or demeaning, we are sorry. For all that will be in our coming week, we seek your help. God, who is love, may your love infuse everything we share this day and surround us as together and apart we continue to follow in the footmarks of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
As is our practice, we have two Bible readings, and the first this morning is from Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16, and I am reading from the inclusive language version of the New International Version of the Bible. So Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 34. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled... But he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then, immediately, He and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God. He and his whole family. The second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 17 and forms part of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
John 17, beginning at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given the glory that you gave to me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. I wonder how you measure the worth of a sermon. By its length or by its depth? It's a question sometimes pondered by creatures and congregations and quite often coming to different conclusions, it has to be said. The measure of a good sermon is not how long it lasts, not how many funny quips or alliterative points it contains, but whether in some way it speaks to our innermost being as though from God. I note this partly because I don't do alliteration or funny stories, as a matter of course, but also because today is going to be very short. It's not a full-length 20-minute sermon. So we're all of us going to have to listen especially carefully to detect the whisper of God's voice somewhere in the middle of my own flawed thoughts and reflections. We heard two very different readings, each of which, at its heart, has people at prayer, and each of which has something to say to us about what it means to be in Christ. The story from Acts is very strange to our 21st century Western ears. Soothsayers are very rarely encountered in our day-to-day experience. Though I guess many of us, maybe most of us, if we're honest, can identify with Paul's growing sense of annoyance as this woman follows them around. We don't have the time today to explore the role of the so-called oracles in first century Romano-Greek culture. We don't have the time to think about supernatural ability that is still sometimes encountered today an ability to glimpse the future. What we can do is to take notice that this woman, 
identified as a maidservant, was being exploited by those who owned her. Her apparent ability to foresee the future was a good money spinner. Rather than a blessing, this ability was a burden, even, dare I suggest, a cause of bondage. With the loss of her supernatural ability, the woman's commercial value vanished and her owners were furious. But might it be the case that in some small way, she was now free and freed by Christ? The physical imprisonment of Paul and Silas could not bind their inner freedom. Locked in jail, they sang and prayed the night away. It's actually the jailer who was imprisoned. Imprisoned by the fear of what would happen if any of the captives escape when the earth tremor loosens the bonds that hold them. He's actually on the point of suicide when Paul intervenes. Let's not underestimate how significant this was for him. In a tender and moving story, the jailer washes the men's wounds and then, very soon afterwards, he is baptised. A symbolic washing, cleansing him from his wounds of fear, regret and hopelessness. He and his family discover a new kind of freedom. Not an escape from the reality of the world of which they are part, but inside, as they are drawn into the way of Christ. I find myself wondering how God might be calling us to be like Paul and Silas in our own context. Who are those annoying people who hang around and wind us up? Who are the people who are being exploited by powerful individuals or organisations? Who are the people who live in a constant fear of failure and its consequences? And yes, who are the people right on the edge who feel that death is the only way out? Who else in other places of captivity might we encounter? And how can we speak the truth of freedom in Christ to them? Or to ourselves. When I was at the English Baptist Assembly last week, quite a lot of time was given to talking about the complex topic of human sexuality. It was made very clear at the start that this was not a resolution upon which a vote would be taken, and nor was it setting out to assert one understanding over against another. Rather, we were called to listen for God's voice in and through each other as interconnected members of the body of Christ. It was a good conversation, characterised for the most part by grace and gentleness. Some profound sharing was uh, taking place. A Baptist minister who had four children told the very poignant tale of how he had conducted the marriages of three but could not conduct a ceremony for the fourth, a son who was in a civil partnership. 
He spoke of his own ongoing process of wrestling with what all that means. It was a good and gracious conversation. And right at the end, a rock dove, or a pigeon, to use its common name, overflew the gathering. Now, for anybody who knows anything about Greek, the word that we translate as dove can equally well be translated as pigeon. So for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, did the Holy Spirit physically manifest in that meeting? Or was it just one of those things that a pigeon flew over? I know which I choose to go with. But what seemed to me significant was there was a sense of unity. that Actually, our unity in Christ was holding us together as we worked together to understand and love one another. John's account of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane is beautiful and challenging. In the section we heard, it's for people like us whom Jesus prays. A prayer for unity, but not a prayer for uniformity. A prayer that, just as God is united and yet differentiated by persona as Father, Son, and Spirit, by role as sustainer, redeemer, and creator, so may it be in the church. Not all Christians can or will agree on everything. Not all matters of faith and practice have one and only one valid expression and understanding. There's a very true saying that where there are two Baptists, there will be three opinions. But despite all that, Jesus' prayer still stands. That we might be united in a way that brings life and freedom. For surely here is a profound mystery. It is by being bound together, figuratively tied to each other, losing the freedom to go our own way, that we discover our true freedom in Christ. We won't always agree But if we can keep central our unity in Christ, and from that our commitment to one another, then perhaps to our surprise, we will discover freedom from all those things which hinder our life together. Amen. We're going to sing from Common Ground, number 25. It will also appear on the screen. Come now, O Prince of Peace, make us one body. We stand, if we can, as we sing.
It's very easy in leading into sessions to be driven by our own agenda. So what I've chosen to do this morning is to use a form of intercessions from Gathering for Worship, which is one of the resources offered by the Baptist Union of Great Britain. In these intercessions, there will be space of silence for our own prayers. Let's pray together. Our minds are so often full of words, and what is worse, our hearts are often clogged up with thoughts and ideas as well, which leaves little room for meeting God in simplicity and stillness. So this morning we are going to have space to pray ourselves, guided with these leads and prompts. So first, let us take a little time to notice how many good things surround us, how much there is that we take for granted, and how much our lives have been blessed this week with good people and enjoyable experiences. We pray now for some of the people and places in the news, things we will read in Sunday papers when we get home, or maybe have seen on our TV screens during the week. We hold them now within God's love. We pray for the church, for the many issues that face it at present whether they be declining numbers, finances, challenges of a multicultural community, or anything else. And we pray for our own church particularly, with the many opportunities and indeed some problems before us. We ask for guidance and grace for the whole church. Between us, we know many people who are struggling today with illness, crisis, big decisions, and major changes in their lives. God's care for them is greater than ours. But let us show our love and concern for them as we pray, naming our own people in quiet trust before God, and thinking especially of Jen and Andrew and the family, of Althea and of Jean. Each of us has things on our mind, perhaps things we hesitate to mention to anyone else. But you understand us totally and want only the very best outcome for us. And so we pray in the honesty of our own hearts. These, Lord, are the prayers of your people this morning. We ask you to take these prayers and to answer them in your own time and in your own way. And in the meantime, give us expectant and trustful hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen.
Let's pray. We do indeed count our blessings, loving God. You have showered so much upon us. And in gratitude, we bring these our gifts. Please help us to use them widely, wisely and widely to share the good news of Jesus and to bring his freedom into more hearts and lives. We pray in his name. Amen. Freedom and life are ours, for Christ has set us free. We stand, if we can, as we sing.